think the first conference I went to, the first festival actually in Struga in uh, Macedonia, and having been through it, I tried to sum up my experiences, and I thought it was a little bit like swimming in clear soup, a kind of consomme. But to say you can see partly through it, it certainly had a flavor, it's a danger of drowning, but on the whole, the fifty float of it was extremely pleasant, a pleasant sort of experience. Um, and I've just come back, actually, it was about four days before I came here. Um, I was at a conference in Romania on the Black Sea coast, um, what I've been to before, in which the subject was exile, and loads of people spoke about exile, and at the end of it, um, the presiding, the president of the Writers' Union of Romania, Mr. Manolescu, summed it up by saying, well, some people have said exile is tragedy, some people have said it is comedy, some people say it's a good thing, some people say it's a bad thing, and he went through a whole lot of opposites, all, all of it, and I began realized that actually I didn't I hadn't actually got and I myself had given a paper, about 18 papers. Um, that I hadn't actually gone to a conference in order to discover the truth about exile. It was to hear people talking. And that the ostensible subject of um, occasions like this is not so much that we get to the bottom of uh, things, but so that we hear what's going on. Um, in people's heads, and quite interesting um, that is. I should say that I, my technological involvement takes me to a point I actually keep a blog, and during the conference I have actually been making some notes around this, and I will actually sort of refer to that a little bit in trying to uh, make sense of it. Perhaps since we are being, um, to some degree, personal, and since we did start with the idea of influence, and from influence we have moved through various sub-areas, um, perhaps I could just say something personal to begin with. When I was a child in Hungary, um, there are three books I particularly remember from those I had, and a lot of books when I was a child. Um, one was an illustrated edition of the 1861 verse play by Ibn Madaj called The Tragedy of Man which I didn't actually read at the time, but I had them with illustrations. The illustrations were by a man called Mihai Zici. Um, and later, much later, in England, when I came across the illustrations of Gustave Dore, I was taken back to Zici because there was a certain resemblance, and these two people began to form a kind of pool. Um, the idea of pool and soups is gonna come back as, as, as towards um, the end. Another book was um, the book Now We Are Six, A. A. in a bilingual edition translated by one of the leading Hungarian humorist writers and a virtuosic writer, in which I first I find English words, which were and, but, so, on one side, I didn't know what the hell they meant, and I mispronounced them. But it was, if you like, a kind of dipping into something alien, which was to become very, very important to me. The third, on whom I just expand a couple of sentences, was a poem, uh, a kind of ballad, a yarn, by the great uh, uh, 19th century poet Petrofi, Chandor Petrofi, who's reckoned to be one of the greatest of Hungarian poets, who died at the age of 26 on the battlefield. 
And this is um, called Jahrschlikis, uh, which means John Rebellion. There's a translation of it. Um, I read this and I remembered it in a kind of memory trace way. And perhaps it's not, um, but it isn't entirely stupid to think of it as a kind of memory trace. Um, and that some 30 years after leaving the country, I was back in Hungary for one of the first times staying in the flat of a friend. And I was scanning the bookshelves that he had, and I saw this book. And it was the same book, the same edition, with the same illustrations. And my heart skipped, and I felt, um, I felt I'd been haunted, in a way. Now, this story, it's, as I say, it's a yarn. Uh, it's about a guy, John the Ballet, which should mean something like John Barleycorn, and it sort of does and it sort of doesn't, and it takes it back to the translation problem, um, in which uh, he wanders through um, magic, war, romance, meets ghosts. It was actually, I think, um, it introduced me about the age of four to uh, literary sex. Um, I'll quote you a couple of verses from this. Um, You'll hear when the verses come that that's really boring. Yeah, it's really boring because that's all it does. But when one talks about rhythm, that isn't necessarily the thing. Within that, all kinds of other things are going on. Right at the beginning of this, Johnny, I myself have been playing with translating this as one tries to kind of recapture one's childhood and all its. Um, antique freshness. Um, an ocean of brilliant flowers surrounds him, but little he cares for anything around him. A stone's throw away flows a brook in its station. His eyes watch the water in rapt fascination. Yet not quite the water, but all its fine features. But a beautiful maiden, the fairest of creatures, the fairest of creatures with midriffs so slender, her golden hair tumbling her bosom, all splendor, stirred to her knees, a bright sunlight flashing, bright flecks in the water, she pounds at the rushing. Her delicate knees are a half hidden treasure, attending on Johnny Barleycorn's pleasure. Basically, there's a four year old in the past seven for life. There is a kind of uh, influence in that. Okay, you pass beyond that. Um, and then I come to England, and what do I remember? Comics. And I think, what do I remember? I remember the people down there. I remember Beano, Beefo the Bear, Corky the Cat, Lord Snoop Jenny Spells, Dens the Manus, Minnie the Minx, as Orton says somewhere, simply saying the name just ever so comfy. Okay. But 1967 or 68, um, I put a thin volume of poems at the school library. Um, shells when I'm supposed to do my physics homework, which I wasn't very good at this. Uh, and there are these lines which I think I remember even now, uh, which somehow I was not born necessarily mixed me up in a cement mixer. And I thought, this is interesting. This is kind of fascinating. It's by a guy called Michael Baldwin, who is still around as a poet. Little by little, one picks up all of these people, people handy books, um, people say, have you read this? Or you find exotic sounding things, like I remember at school reading, or at least not entirely reading, to be fair, 
has been attracted by the title of Death Jested by Thomas Lovell Beddoes, an old dog. He said, it must be interesting, Death Jested. But as, 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 as an adolescent, there's nothing more interesting than this. Um, and so on. So you pile these things up. Well, at the beginning, if I can sort of build back now to what we had, we began with the um, idea of influence, and we began to, and I think when um, Charles was talking, there's a usual thing which one can do, and I have a list of names here, we can pronounce the uh, resonant names, the names that are, if you like, um, world literature to which we might come later. You pronounce these names because it means something, they are important, but we know what the resonant names are, and let me go there again. What, what Charlie, I think, said um, quite fascinatingly was uh, he talked about um, being changed, but the idea of finding the poem that will change me, um, and of looking and active seeking for influences. So you're not just reading because you like reading. You're looking for stuff that will somehow modify, that will somehow change you, well, in ways that you can cope with. It's very hard to come across stuff um, that you can't work with. But that was the model, if you like, and John was at the time talking, it was referring to Elias tradition and the individual talents, the idea of tradition as a flow, and then to which Joel then responded so memorably. memorably. <laughs> Um, and I think the important thing, the idea of flow, right, I started with soup and I'm now getting into other kind of forms of liquid. The, the, the idea of flow as something which is pernicious in some respects. Although at the same time, um, what she also did was to talk about seepage. Um, she talked about toxic flow. So in fact, it's a kind of counter flow idea. Um, and Chris then talked about another important thing, which was about friendship and how, in a way, influences are not so much a kind of systematic business, but works are like people, and people are like works, and you get to know these people, and out of them, you develop personal attachments, the way I was saying about my attachment to Fidel Charles Gaddafi. You feel that these people are almost personal friends, Chris's was about location, and it was about history, because there were um, echoes haunting these places, red look and so forth, echoes of frost. So in a way, there were these two remarkably kind of contrasting um, responses to Charlie. They're not really responses to what people have to say, um, and they seem to be almost contradictions of each other, or at least there were arguments between which some kind of deal might be struck. They were almost kind of a kind of binary, which is say, do you see the world as a kind of trauma zone, which I think is a really interesting idea, um, or do you see the world as, as a kind of place in which history has a certain role and it's mediated through personal um, content? Um, and then we went on to uh, moorings. And as we were going on, I felt ever more, we had some firm ground, not right here about firm ground, I don't think we should care too much about firm ground at all. Um, so we're now, for a part, our current of binaries kind of continues through knowing um, grammatical translation versus Borghese form versus narrative trance. 
um, friendship location, uh, well, no, this is coming back to Chris. Friendship location, twelve perhaps universes are monstrous, they're everywhere, they're, they're toxic. The power struggle between a living author and translator, the notion of an ideal or divine translation versus a faulty human version, the notion of work and reworking, the rewards, those, uh, those international literary prizes for the work in translation, how far credit is divided between author without whom no translation, and translation without whom no prize. And then we moved on to Matsukis. Um, I think, and I want to come back to Matsukis at the end, to the idea of influencing retrospect. Influence is something distilled and assimilated, so it no longer, I've noticed a certain smell of influence. It no longer smells of influence. There was a kind of a long-term process, although there was uh, the possibility of borrowing, and borrowing particularly um, of structure, say Robinson Crusoe in this case, and how Joyce then relies on Homer, Gene Rees develops Charlotte Watkins, and so forth, and how we get these sort of ideas that there's something here we can use, and it's something, possibly something structural, or possibly is a core of the curriculum, or a sort of idea around which something new can grow. So it's not dead. It's not, it's not a dead thing. It's not a dead technology in that sense. The structure still does things. Um, and a translation and, and, and his, uh, I took his uh, publication, Letters to the Question of uh, World Literature. Um, you can have that with a capital W and a capital L, or you could have it um, without. After all, um, if translated works, or even works in other languages that the writer might know, can provide structures. There must be an assumption that certain words travel, or certain structures um, travel very well. Some may travel productively, some may travel unproductively, meaning they produce no borrowings. All right, then there's a question. So are genres, for example, international? Are there families of the imagination? Do the terms gothic or sci-fi or romance or bildungsroman or, or chiclet mean something across cultures? Do they do we sort of pool ourselves into them? To use the water metaphor again. Um, this is simply an example of globalized culture. Um, I think the most interesting part of the morning in some ways, um, what is the, the part which is most intense? Was the part where Natsuki wanted to address the substance and meaning of the recent tsunami and its effects, um, and said that he found there were almost too many facets of the disaster, that there were only fragments and missing pieces, and the people trying to hold the life together, like the doctor compiling his dialect dictionary, what to make of the old survivor um, who says many more eminent people than he have been lost, and then he weeps. And to address his bewilderment, what, what, what did Natsuki do? He pulled out a Shimborsky poem, and an English translation of which there may, may very well be a Japanese too, I don't know, but he read this Polish poem in an English translation, um, recited it, and he said, oh, that reminded me of an ancient Japanese poem, which we can then have in the original language. Um, and of course, what he also produced was a list of books. He produced a list of recommended books, which is to some degree world literature. 
Um, there were previous, I have always been projects like this, we have syllabuses in universities. There's a series called Sir John Lovett's 100 Famous Books or 100 Best Books, in which somebody says these are the 100 books that you should read in order to be a fully civilized, operative uh, human being, let alone um, a writer. Um, you know, the big group of lists, these we have loved, read this and learn. And we do learn, I mean, not just the books, of course, and that's the sophisticated part of it. We learn about their choosing and about their choosers. So it doesn't devalue the list if one bears in mind that we are chosen under particular circumstances and there are particular ways of choosing such things. We are that smart, we are kind of that lost. And then we adopted um, Birnbaum, um, the word on Japanese, on, on, on the enormous cultural differences in um, value and form, differences that seemed unbridgeable, or that could be bridged, or that might be bridged. Because, in fact, they are in practice, a, bri a bridge exists, occasionally, not quite as either sure might imagine it. Um, but a bridge all the same, something to stand on, and even walk across, even if only part of the way. You can smell, you go back to smell, you can smell the far shore, and you can see people moving on the banks. So I'm still with rivers, and I'm still with water, as you say. Um, and underneath it all, and this is the struggle I picked up as a very time, which is a question of gender, and I can't begin to explore that because that is water under pressure, if you like. And there's still a vast amount to be resolved, to be can resolved, it can be explored, and there are special places for doing that. Um, I liked Larkin's line, and to say under it all, I, I, I've written down under it all as a question of gender lines. And afterwards, the line from Larkin, under it all, is our oblivion lines. And I think at the same time that I remember, am I not thinking? What do I do with that? I just talk loud. But the other line in Latin about begin afresh, afresh, afresh. So this is premium saga basically. While at the same time he's looking at things from the perspective of possibility of freshness. Um, now, one of the um, fascinating things uh, that Joel called for was new metaphors. Um, and it's interesting that metaphors just have been used um, in this conference. Um, the notion of the avatar, um, Gwyneth's notion of um, the body as being part of poetry, as being part of a rhythm, as being, um, if you like, part of a sort of expanding uh, internet world, which is a kind of sea of connection. A sea into which almost one can be dropped. You know how you drop into water, you become more aware of your body because you know you're being surrounded by um, different things. Um, the idea of knocking on doors, the idea of being um, a good wife to to language. My personal hunch is that um, poets and writers are basically good wives to language, and that that is. Whatever that comprises, it, it, um, there, it is that kind of a relationship in which, in which one is to some degree, in the traditional sense, serving language. 
what had that sort of done next door in the same room, in the same bed, the relationship with it. The idea gets traumatized. Um, okay, I said I was going to sort of get to water, and I think the water is where I'd like to get. Um, I was going to leave you, but I don't want to sort of I can find short. One of the things that fascinates me, and I brought in Pauline Vidal's hand, within which there's this sort of splendid essay um, called in, in Portland City, in which she recommends what poets should do as an education and influence. Um, and he says they should memorize thousands of lines by heart. He says there should be no criticism except by parody, that they should be they should cook, they should look after a garden, they should look after an animal. Um, he advises them against engaging in, in academic institutions. Um, and he places them at an angle, if you like, to the discussion of literature. Okay, so we have the water thing. But here are some of the pointers and some of the phrases that people have used. Um, the internet surfer is an interesting one. But that's basically a water metaphor. Um, Gail used the term liquefaction. I think that's interesting. Um, joy of seepage and toxic flow. Traditions of the flow. Um, Gwyneth's a lovely thing about um, skimmed milk and clotted cream. And how, in fact, the whole of the presentation is like kind of thick cloth and, and pick up things and, and find things floating in the liquid that you wanted to sort of take out and use your fist and chew on them and, and, and taste them. Um, but, but I want to talk about critical currents, I want to talk about all these sorts of things, or the organic sort of tides of where our discussion is moving tides, they move into something, they move out of things. Um, and we are aware, if I can bring my soup and my pipes together, um, <laughs> that there is, we are floating in something which has, which has um, directions and currents, and it's not actually currently going to solve the question um, if it ever can be solved or influenced or how to define such things. I think the most powerful water image of the Kapatnakuti is the inundation, um, the tsunami. And this is real water, and it's not a metaphor. And he says how nature is indifferent to us. The water does not mean to cause damage. It just does what it does. I'd like to propose, and I'll, and I'll soon just finish with a short poem because that's my calling. Um, it's very short. Um, that the terms of our debate have been tidal, water-like, and I think that that's a natural place for writers to be, that we are kind of floating. I remember talking to Pat yesterday over dinner, and my parents talked about the fear of drowning. We can drown in this stuff, but it's our business to swim to some degree. That's what makes us writers, we swim in our different ways, we swim in these sort of big common seas. I'll finish with the, the poem and leave it with you. It's a poem called Water, and I tell you how this began. And it, in a way, it relates to what my sister is saying today. Some years ago, I was asked by the Vatican to write some poems about photographs, which I always love doing anyway. And there was a simple photograph of a poor man in India who was drying his clothes at a stone tub. It was very thin. And as he was drying his clothes, um, he beats his cloth against the stone truck. 
And behind him, what he cannot see, is this arc of water. It's an absolutely perfect arc of water of its own. He doesn't know about it, so he's not going to be influenced by this arc of water, but we understand it as, if you like, as a kind of willingness beyond us, something that we can maybe see. So this is our language, this poem called Water, which is about that. And it's about the rules of water. The hard, beautiful rules of water are these. That it shall rise with displacement, as a man does not, nor his family. That it shall have no plan or subterfuge. That in the cold it shall freeze, in the heat turn to steam. That it shall carry disease and bright, brilliant fish in river and ocean. That it shall roar or meander through metropolitan districts whilst reflecting skies, buildings, and trees. And it shall clean and refresh us, even as we slave over the stone tubs, or cower in the shelter, or run into the arms of a loved one in some desperate quarter where the rats too are running. That it shall have dominion, that it shall arch its back in the sun, only according to the hard rules of water. <laughs> 